Welcome to the Mega Man's Podcast with your host, Steven Martinez, a.k.a. Mega Man. This will be episode 84 of Beer Talks 23. And also, this is Women That Love Craft Beers, part 5. Right now, I'm in the city of San Pedro, across the Green Bridge at Long Beach. Right now, I'm outside at Brewery West, one of my top five breweries to go to. You know, you can see me gas too. I don't want to go drive to the Inland Empire. I have a very, very, very special guest. Uh, she's a head brewer at Brewery West. My homegirl, Ryan. But we have something common, but we'll talk about that later down the road. <laughs> What's up, Ryan? Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. You, hey, I just I got you in the nick of time. You were doing, what, your last cans? Uh, yeah, you caught me at the very end of our canning run for the day. So uh-huh. I'm canning uh, Pop Fuji. How, was, uh, how many cans did you guys make? 318 cases and 11 cans. So 318 cases. So when you guys are done making all those beers, do you have a lot of people uh, coming to like, hey, I want to buy this, I want to buy that for my store? How does that work? Uh, it all goes, like all of our sales go through our sales director. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, after that, it will be either allocated for uh-huh. distribution or allocated for the tap room. So if anybody wants to order our, our beer, they should probably go through uh, our <laughs> distribution manager. I mean, your beers, I get it at California Heights, uh, all your beers. I know there I saw some, I think some maybe a, a last four pack of the collab you did with Great Notion still. Uh, a lot of your beers you guys carry at 4th Street, you know, in Long Beach at V Room. Uh, I love them. One of my favorites is uh, the Saison Dog Ate My Homework. You got some double IPAs. We got some killers. Yeah. yeah I like this. <laughs> Who makes the designs? Uh, those ones, so it all kind of depends, but a lot of our design work is done by the owner, so uh-huh. Brian Mercer. Uh, he's a really creative guy, and he's the one that's really pushed all of our label designs to all of these next levels that you see coming out with all of these newest uh, releases and stuff. But yeah. a lot of the artwork and things like that that he gets, he will get from actual artists that mm-hmm. he either finds on Instagram or he just sees kind of wherever. So mm-hmm. there are kind of like a wide range of artists from, you know, like mixed media um, artists to uh, graphic designers to uh, like people who... Uh, Graffiti artist, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. and a lot of, like, really big names, too. Yeah, I like uh, Brewery West. It's, like, ex- you know, excluded from a lot of the breweries. You know, this is, like, more, like, isolated, where it's, like, you drive over here, you know, and all, you have the arts and crafts across the street, and, and you can chill outside. You have food. You have good beers. This is a perfect location. And also, um, from time to time, you guys have, like, a lot of indie bands play over here. We do. So we're actually like setting up today for an event tomorrow on Ooh, Saturday. What's going on? Uh, I believe it's... The John Doe? <laughs> something like that. I don't really know about like too much about the events going on. I just know that they come into the brewery and they set up. Mm-hmm. I think tomorrow is actually... Um, oh, I can't remember who it is, but figure it out. So some indie band. Yeah, some I, indie bands. I, I love indie bands. <laughs> some crazy stuff. But yeah, we have like a summer, uh, summer concert series. I love that it. we kind of like go through so that's good that's good the reason why i wanted you on because i'm putting together uh 10 episodes for women who love craft beers and i want to pick out women who are killing it in the craft beer scene from you know brewers you know owners uh social media just or doing whatever they can uh helping out in the craft beer in the, in the, in the family and stuff like that
and uh, I put out the, the Mega Man signal and Sour Queen B is like, hey, I got someone for you. It's like, who? It's like her. It's like, oh, I've seen her before. You know, it's like, she's the head brewer at Brewery West. Like, sold. Yeah. Yeah, then I was looking, I was looking at, I was trolling, I'm not a stalker, but I was looking like, wow, we have something in common. Yeah. We have, we love fucking rugby. Mega Man, a lot of people don't know, Mega Man loves fucking rugby. I was like, how does a Mexican love rugby? You know, but I love rugby. It happens. Rugby is for everybody. How long, how, how long you been doing rugby for? I've been playing rugby for six years now. How do you like it? I love it. It's, uh, it's one of those sports that yeah, it, it's just kick ass, of, huh? Yeah, it, it's it's really hard to explain because it's it means a lot, and I'm not like the only one that kind of thinks that's the way. I think a lot of people that get into the rugby mm-hmm. community by playing, by coaching, by refing, um, you know, their kids if they're a little too old to play, you know, all of these people they kind of uh, it becomes like this worldwide family. Yeah. So it's not just you know you here alone by yourself mm-hmm. like you see with a lot of like you know all these other sports there's actually this really really big worldwide community that goes along with it and like with rugby it's a it's a team effort yeah and when you have to work as <laughs> you have to work there's no one person there's it's a team yeah it's a it's a it's a 15 man or 16 man uh 15 15 yeah and you have to work as a team gotta throw the ball here and all that there's one thing i know is like when you tackle you cannot hook the person you get a foul yeah, so it's basically high tackles are uh, a huge no-no, so you can't do that. Are a those always of, fights? Uh, actually, like you don't really see a lot of uh, fights, especially at like the level that I play at, or uh-huh. in a lot of the higher levels. Like semi? Um, or just for like weekends or? No, actually, so that's like one of the interesting things. So like the, the league that I play in is a women's premier league. So Ooh. essentially it is the highest level of women's club rugby that you can play in the U.S. Is it here in L.A.? Uh, no, it's actually in San Diego. So I commute down to San Diego twice a week, three times a week actually, uh, for practices and games. Oh, wow. Uh, and I'll be doing that until uh, the beginning of November. So So it's like a season from November all the way to what, like April? No, our, our season just uh, is starting on August 17th. So that's actually when we have uh, our first games. Uh, and then it will go until August. Uh, October 31st, November 1st, 2nd, something around there. Do they have, uh, like, rugby leagues, like, not, like, professional leagues? Not for women. Not for women in the U.S. We do have a national team, but we don't have, like, professional teams. So I would say that the league that I play for, WPL, that's, uh, I would consider that to be semi-pro to actual professional women's rugby. What's your position? Uh, I'm a type 5 forward, so I kind of roll around in the 1, 3, 4, Five spot. So this season, I will most likely be playing one or three. Okay. So I'm a big person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a, a lot. Um, I was watching some documentary, and uh, I we were deeming each other, and uh, I was like, "Who's your favorite rugby?" Like uh, Jonah Lam- Lamu. Yeah, he was. Wow. He was a phenom. Yeah, he's he's kind of crazy. Yeah, Shouts to him. I know he, you know, rest in peace. You know? Yeah. He was one of the, I think, one of the best I've seen. I remember him when, um, in 1995, where South Africa was hosting the South Africa. It was, you know, South Africa versus New Zealand. And I remember that was the first time I ever seen rugby on ESPN. And it was uh, something, something like changed the world where there was a host country, Nelson Mandela just got out, 
you know, a lot of this, this change and stuff like that. And I was like, who's that guy? He's a big guy and he can run fast like that. And he was ramming, like ramming over people from England. Like, this guy's a beast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, re- I remember him, you know, and I thought like, okay, New Zealand's going to beat out South Africa. But South Africa, I think it was what, 13-10? Yeah, it was like, it was a really interesting game. That's something where I always feel like, now I know why New Zealand, you know, like, they're beasts. Oh, yeah. No, they, their work rate for that team and actually, like, the, the team culture is um, kind of distinct for them. So it, they take kind of that sense of, like, family and sense of, like, community to a whole nother level. Like, yeah, if you, if you listen to any of the captains talk, you know, it's always, like, we, we, we instead of, like, I or the team or something like that. There's all, It's always just, like, it's it functions as a group, and no yeah. one is above anybody else. If no. someone's having a not-so-hot day, then, you yeah. know, everybody else is, like, working really hard to, yeah. you know, not necessarily make up for whatever, but trying to bring that player, that teammate, that person yeah. um, back up into the fold. Yeah. When they have World Cups or Tri-Nations and stuff, I feel like when they have a team, they come together. It's like it's country against country, you know. Like if it's France, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, you know, it's it's, it's a team effort. So it's, it's always that country like like bragging rights. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What's up with the United States? I don't know. No, the U.S. is actually where we've gotten a lot better. So our women's team was actually um, just in a uh, a couple a couple of games. Um, Pacific Nations uh-huh. and stuff like that. So we played against uh, France, Canada, New Zealand, England. Maybe it wasn't Pacific Nations. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. But uh, we got to play against like some of the top teams in in the world, and we're actually not doing too badly. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, as long as you're doing okay and stuff like that, it, it takes years to develop and try to to make your you know, team more better and stuff to get ready for the World Cup and all that. That, that's a make or break and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So, Women's World Cup is going to be next year in New Zealand, so... So, is this true? So, when you have... When there's newcomers who are getting on to the World Cup, they usually, usually have an eight-man team. You know, eight-man. They do, like, an eight-man instead of, you know, like, the eight-man team. They have, like, World Cups or whatever. Like, seven-man or eight... Oh, you're talking about sevens. Yeah, sevens, yeah. Yeah, so sevens and fifteens are, like, really similar, but they're also kind of really different. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, like, the mentality is... It spreads out more. If yeah, it's so it's basically the same size field as 15s, but you're working with seven players. So you're more or less, like, cutting down the amount of manpower or you know, people on the field that you can, you know, cover with. So, you know, you're working kind of twice as hard, if not three times as hard, to mm-hmm. do the same amount of work. Not for the same amount of time, like the the games themselves, like the halves of seven minutes, but mm-hmm. you are pretty much like dead on sprinting for at least yeah. you know four to five, if not all of those seven minutes, depending on the team you're playing with. Because I thought like if you're on one of those seven man teams or women's teams and stuff like that, those are scouts who are like okay, you're gonna get to the next level. What? Oh no, those are separate. Like those teams are separate. Although you will see a lot of like crossover now, so. The rugby, the rugby game has actually kind of changed a little bit, at least for the, the northern hemisphere, hemisphere for the U.S. Um, they're kind of, and it's actually like changed overall, like worldwide. Um, the the types of rugby players that they're looking for are not necessarily like these, uh, you know, 
position specific things you know you're not looking for these props that are big bruisers that are just rumbling around the field and are only really effective at one or two things but mm -hmm. they're still really good mm -hmm. they're looking for the more like well-rounded players like how can you how can you move around the field how strong are you but how how does that strength sort of um you know function is it like a functional strength can you move yourself around the field effectively can you get to where you need to be with like relative speed so if that's like something that's been really really interesting is that rugby has kind of evolved and changed from you know back when in the 90s to even now where things are like everyone's a lot faster everyone's a little bit fitter no one is you know they're all around kind of like the same size just about depending on who you're actually talking about. See, like, a lot of teams like some, like Samoa and Fiji, a lot of those, uh, like, you know, those island nations and stuff, they're big motherfuckers. Oh, yeah, so... Oh, yeah, like, tong the Tongos. <laughs> yeah, they are. The the islanders are a very strong people, but very, very sturdy. Like, you can see someone go, oh, man, they look like they're really big. And it's like, the chances are they're not fat. That's all muscle. Like, they're big. <laughs> And it's really kind of scary when you run into it because you think like, oh man, I can kind of do this. And then you go to hit someone to tackle someone and you just kind of wake up and you're like, ah, this is, this is not. <laughs> I saw a video, it was on, it had over like 30 million hit like views. This little Samoan kid, he was like 10 years old, but he was like, he looked like he was 16. Oh yeah. He was bulldozing little, little kids. Like, oh yeah. What the heck? Yeah, I mean, I've played in Australia, played, played sevens in Australia. I went on like a small tour and stuff like that. How so, was that like? Uh, it was interesting because you don't necessarily realize like that there are actually differences between how um, people in the U.S. play versus Australian players versus the island nation players. Like it's all very different. Like the mentality is not necessarily different, but like the style of play is definitely uh, very, very different. So. You know, you'll see in Australia, like, I've noticed that, at least for the women, they're really, really aggressive. And it's the same thing with New Zealand. When I saw um, New Zealand play, oh, I think it was England the other day. Yeah, the women? England, England women. And you kind of, like, watch, like, New Zealand, like, the, the, the ferns, like, just watch them running around the field and just kind of go, wow, they're, like, really aggressive. But it's like, that is essentially like how they play that's what they do it's like they are they're good like they're awesome but <laughs> there's a lot of like what seems like aggression whereas you know I think in the U.S. it's not necessarily that we're passive it's just that we don't have that mindset like that like that next level where it's like that mental stage where let's see let's let's push them and bully them and see what they're made of yeah that's 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 kind of what it is it's really like just about like testing boundaries for certain things and you there's can always, see that a lot and you know there's always gonna be fights yeah i mean i kind of think that there was a little bit of one when i watched like new zealand and, and uh an england play so that was like kind of an interesting thing did so. they do the haka deaths they did because they won so yeah, I, I always feel like when they do haka dance, you know, I looked into it like, why do you do haka dance? They used to prepare themselves before they go to battle. Yeah. Yeah, and all that. Yeah, so that's that's kind of like where it all comes from. It's like that whole uh, the culture uh, for New Zealand, like the the native culture. It's yeah. really very strong and very like. Oh, my coach is from New Zealand, and I remember one of, before one of our nationals. 
uh, our last game, like he did it by himself. Like he did the haka by himself uh, in the locker room. It's and intense, it, huh? It was probably like one of the most awesome and just crazy things because all of that energy, like you don't realize that it's all there, but it's it was incredible. It's like goosebumps, huh? Yeah, it was. And even now, like thinking about it, it's kind of one of those things where you're just like, wow, okay. Yeah. This is insane. Insane! I I like watching on YouTube the haka dances, and uh, the one that that stand out to me is when the New Zealand was playing Wales, and they did the haka dance, and the Wales team, which is standing there for like 10, 20 minutes, like staring them like whatever, and the stare down, the intense, the alpha, like who, who, who who's gonna beat out the stare, yeah. and the referees are telling them, come on, it's no, and they didn't want to budge. Yeah, it's kind of like intense because I don't know. I'm pretty sure that my reaction would probably be the same thing. Uh, it's kind of probably a mixture of maybe a little bit of sort of like, you know, intimidation. And you kind of go, but then you kind of remember, no way, I can do, I can do this. And then kind of like a mixture of awe and just being able to, to see that and be a part of it because, I mean... It's it's all incredible, you know. Even on the sidelines, it's something really, really special and really awesome to see. And I'm really glad that that is a part of that because that is such a huge part of New Zealand. I love it. I love. One day, I always tell my girl, one day, like I want to go to South Africa, Johannesburg, or go to Cape Town and, and just watch a rugby and just like like well, why why do you want to go over there there's nothing to do with like dude there's some stuff to do yeah unless you want to go shark diving too if you want in south africa yeah i love shark diving no and now we've got like since uh rugby world cup for japan is coming around uh, we've got a lot of the newer uh, jerseys coming out and like new jersey designs i know that like we've been going on about like new zealand but man like their designs are always killing it no they're, well, they're always going to be number one it stands <laughs> out I mean, all their sports, it, they're good, but when it comes to rugby, New Zealand is always going to be number one. Yeah. Either, either that, South Africa, France. I mean, there's so many good teams. You don't know who's going to come out. Argentina, you know. When you think about that, you think about all, like, you know, like the rugby is coming out of England, you know, when Australia and all that. Australia's always kicked ass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, the Australians, are like they work really hard. Like, the Argentina, too, is a bit of a sleeping giant, so... They've been, it's kind of one of those those teams that you're like, oh, they're in South America, you know, you don't really think about them too much, but they've been slowly sneaking, like, and kind of coming up similar to what Japan did a couple years ago for um, the Sevens tournament in Vegas. Oh, yeah, they always had the Sevens over there in Vegas, yes. So they they qualified and they made it in and it was just like, it was an incredible performance by uh, the Japanese team, which is not something that I don't think anybody really expected because... You know, in general, you know, they're really, really fast, but they're not, like, these bigger players. Do you ever watch where they used to have the Hong Kong 7 or Hong Kong yeah, Rugby? they still have them. It's part of, it's part I of watched, the group. I, I fucking watch that. <laughs> I watch it 2 o'clock in the morning. Yep. And I watch that, the Hong Kong 7, the Hong, you know, the, the best of the best, you know, rugby people coming to Hong Kong. And I was like, my girl's like, why are you watching that shit? Like, man, leave me alone. I need my rugby time. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I just, like... People are like, man, why are you like, why are you like rugby? It's just, I love it. I think it's because when they did that documentary, uh, the the 16th Man, mm-hmm. you know, with Nelson Mandela, the Clint Eastwood put that that rugby movie uh, with uh, Matt Damon, 
it made me understand like the nation of you know how rugby is and it, it can it, it can change it can change the nation you know with other countries like South Africa New England where the spring box and all that but I feel with the United States it's a little bit small they, they you know like whatever but with other nations like France and New Zealand, Australia, they take the rugby seriously. South they Africa, do. Argentina do. Yeah, they do. They don't fuck around. <laughs> no, no, they don't. They everyone, everyone in like the rugby community, and I can tell you that like uh, USA rugby is like building and building and building. Like I, yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how much momentum like the sport has gotten in the U.S. in the past couple of of years. Even like since I started playing, you know, there's a whole bunch of like youth teams in southern california there's all yeah. sorts of club teams that we've got for you know adults and things there's whole lots of different levels there's different club teams for different types of people like you've got all gay leagues you know yeah so it's kind of a uh, incredible like how like all of these things have come together to kind of embrace like this newish sport air quotes around newish because, i love it yeah i love it i got talk rugby for for fucking days yeah. I mean I just Rugby talks This Legendary stuff One last thing Before we, we, we get to Pass rugby We could talk for hours On this There was a video I saw With Ireland Versus New Zealand And they had a group huddle And the The, the leader of the, the Ireland Was screaming at New Zealand Was doing the haka dance It was a famous video Like Screaming and screaming Like that Again towards And towards and the, some of the, the the players didn't want to go to the the Ireland, but the main the, the team leader from the Ireland was like, "Come on, let's go. We can beat their champ." You know, like whatever. It was intense. Yeah. Anything with a haka dance, and the, the guy looked at him, he just shoved him. It's just that intense, like I don't know. You just get mad. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it's very much like I think like one of the things about rugby is that it's you can more or less like go to battle on the field. But then once the game stops, you know, it you're pretty much, you know, going to maybe not necessarily be friends, but uh, your whole demeanor changes. And so it sportsmanship. Yeah, very very sportsmanlike. Very you know? uh very professional and very uh, courteous and stuff like that. You know, it's a good game, you know, and stuff like that. And Sometimes I feel like where's the helmets and all that, but you know, too many concussions. That's always worry about. Yeah, it, it's kind of like uh, crazy, but everyone is kind of taught is worldwide of the sport as it is. Everyone is taught pretty much the same technique for all of these different, uh, especially like tackling and things like that. What is that called? Where the two teams come together as the one scrum. and they put that's what it's called. Yeah, the scrum. Scrum, and that's where they put the ball under and they mm -hmm. throw it and they try to kick it or how how does that do? Um, so that's just basically another method of restart. Restart so is like trying to gain. Are you trying to gain like gain inches? Uh, yes, actually. So if, if it's like if it's by the goal line or it's, uh, so for the scrum, you know, if if it's your put in, if it's your your ball, basically, um, you're trying to maintain possession, but it's also kind of an opportunity for the other team to gain possession from you. Mm. Um, so it's kind of as a restart, you know, you might have the advantage of being able to put the ball in, but that doesn't mean, mean that you'll actually retain it. So it's just kind of a, a method of restarting the the game from um, some sort of penalty or something like that. Gotcha. Usually a knock on by some random ass person in the back line that decided oh. to knock it on. That must be kind of like strong to sturdy, trying to move around, trying to push, push a little bit more in this. Oh yeah. Probably by tons. Oh yeah, no, I think there's like a, a famous video 
out there of uh, a scrum between you know eight an eight man side I can't remember if it was like England or something like that versus a Formula One car and so you had all of like this one side of manpower and then you had all this other side of uh, a car and you know this car is trying to more or less push and it was a bit of a battle but it was fairly even now I'm not quite sure how accurate that is but um, I can say that like on one of my previous teams like our our scrum side alone we had uh, at least a thousand pounds in the in the type five not not mm. to mention like the flankers and the Lucy's and the eight so that's that's something where a lot of my listeners would be like and have all the uh, the rugby listeners like yes finally some rugby yeah. <laughs> you know for all the New Zealanders and South Africans you yeah, know who you awesome. are and but that's that's very interesting about you know talking about rugby and all that stuff. Um, I want to get to know you. So, uh, what did you grow up at? So I actually grew up in San Diego, so Poway, California, actually. What part? Uh, well, that was like more inland. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like Poway. Went to high school at Poway High, class mm-hmm. of two thousand four. Okay. So, kind of dated myself, but there you go. <laughs> and you checked out. And uh, when did you move to the East Coast? So I moved to the East Coast in 2016, uh, January 2016. Mm-hmm. So I moved to uh, Richmond, Virginia. Um, How was that like? Not the best. Boring? Uh, no, I mean the East Coast is a, a very different Cold, place. Cold? Hot? Uh, kind of all of the above. So they actually have weather, uh, but for Southern Californians like weather is not necessarily like it's not the same like over here no so um the worst season as far as like the east coast has got to be the summer because it's at least like in the 90s like 90 degrees fahrenheit it's humid but you've got like 90 percent humidity which is absolute garbage like it is it's the worst feeling i don't think that i've ever um, been in any sort of environment where the weather made me angry Really? Yeah. You know yeah. what? I've been hearing a lot of people who say summer when the weather is really, really hot and humid, that's where crime rates go up. Yeah. I can tell you that it was just, it was miserable. It was, you know, and trying to like play rugby and all of that, especially like during the summer with sevens where I've got to be sprinting and things like that. Um, it was actually kind of interesting because it is, it was so humid that you couldn't breathe sometimes. Really? So it was almost like a weird form of altitude training because yeah. you were more or less like running around, but the air was so thick that you just couldn't get like enough of it. So in some ways, it's kind of like, I'm kind of thinking that like my lungs were a lot stronger because of the humidity and because of like the moisture content of the water. But um, it, yeah, I wouldn't want to go back. It is not my favorite thing. I remember getting off planes in the summertime and just being like miserable because I was going from whatever sort of environment. Girls, so stay to over here in the West Coast. The West humidity. Coast is the best coast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, did you go to college? I did. So I actually graduated from Oregon State. Beavers. Yes, Beavers. Uh, but I went through their online program. So I did, because I I travel a lot for rugby and I was actually like in the process of moving um, to the East Coast, I needed a program that would be able to have a little bit of flexibility. And so I found Oregon State who had 
a really awesome online program for um, anthropology, actually. Did you so, go to the day you graduated over there? Like, hey, I graduated. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I never seen you around. Yeah. So, so I'll meet a lot of uh, like alumni from OSU, and they're like, oh my god, like you're you're from Oregon, or you went to Oregon. How did you like the campus? And I have to kind of tell them, like, oh no, I didn't actually go to the campus. Yeah, online. I did it from my living room. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what, uh, what, uh, what's your, what was your major? I went through. I have a bachelor's of science in anthropology. Really? Yeah. So okay. it's kind of different for a brewer to have a, like a cultural sort of, uh, you know. How was that like getting your your bachelor's? It it was really cool. Uh, it was really awesome, and I'm really glad that I did it. Um, and I hope at some point to be able to use my degree for something. I'm not really quite sure what I'll be able to like mix anthropology in but mm-hmm. um yeah i kind of really hope to kind of mix anthropology anthropology and beer at some point Good. what type of music you listen to pretty much everything except for country hey really rocker junior babe this uh is like... well okay so i have to say like uh <laughs> what was it hank hank williams and all of that right. stuff sorry right. you know nathaniel rateliff do you like you, know. you like indie music or just whatever you like I kind of would say, like, more of the indie side, but, um, I don't know. Uh, my roommates are actually in a band, too. Hell is a City. So, I kind of, yeah, they're, they tour around Long Beach and okay. into San Diego and stuff like that. But, uh, um, their sound is, like, is really cool, too. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not just saying that because I live with them either. Oh, I know. <laughs> we try to get them in. Yeah. You know, um, do you, uh, like, I know since you live in, you move back from after Oregon State, you move back to the to San Diego or you moved to the L.A. scene or? Yeah, so I, when I was living in Richmond, I was thinking of moving back to the West Coast. I didn't know exactly, like, where that would be. Um, I was actually, like, originally thinking about moving back home, back to San Diego, and just, you know, kind of figuring something out from there. But yeah. um, I was kind of presented with an opportunity at Brewery West, and... I decided to take it. How did you? How, oh, okay. How did you get into the to the to the craft beer game? How'd you start? By drinking a lot. What was your first beer? Uh, it was <laughs> oh Chimay. Chimay. Yeah. The, well, well, which one is it the blue one, the orange one, or the or the red one? I think like I can't really remember it. Chimay. Yeah, I was definitely. I was like, thinking old English or Heineken. No, no, I mean, um, I think it might have been the red one. I'm not really red, those white, blue. One of one of those. Like it was definitely one of those. But you know, I had like a friend who had older brothers, and they were into like craft beer, and so you know, he got into craft beer, and so I was just like, all right, fine, we'll try this. And then from there, it just sort of like. Viral. Was it different, like having a regular beer, like a Heineken or or Corona, then getting to the craft beers? It's like, oh well, wow, this is really different, but more strong. Yeah, I would say that there was like a bit of a difference. I can't really say that I did drink a lot of like the macro brews, like really in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think that's also because like I didn't go like to college right away, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least go away to university or something like that. So. Uh-huh. Uh, I never had that like opportunity to go to all like the keggers and the parties where you drink all of the, you know, the whatever macro brews because that's all that you can afford and that's yeah. all that you can get. 
Um, so especially in, in growing up in San Diego too, is, you know, I'm kind of like surrounded I, by a I, really awesome. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there 220 breweries out there? I think that's that's pretty accurate, if not more. Fuck. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot of. I mean, I'm, I want to go check out Wow Barrels. Mm-hmm. That one, uh, Belching Beavers. Yeah. Coronados. Yeah. Uh, Stones. Ballast Point. Like that. I don't yeah. know about that one. But there's a lot of good breweries out there. Mm-hmm. I want to check out. What do you recommend? Any good breweries out there? Uh, yes. So, my all-time favorite is Society. Okay. So, they're... They're really, really good. Um, their beers are consistent and of... And like excellent quality. Any any uh, breweries that are kind of like similar to that from over here? Uh, in LA, oh, I can't necessarily. I would say something that might be El yeah, Segundo. Maybe, yeah. Actually, El Segundo might be close. Indie. Yeah, indie. Um, yeah. I, I'm still not like quite familiar with it. There's so many beers, um, you know, a lot of good beers, and I always feel like when it comes to the, the brewery scenes in San Diego, I, I have a, I have a uh, friend who lives over there, Crafter Trejo. He was telling me there's a lot of, a lot of breweries that open up and there's a lot of breweries that close down. Yep. So it's a make or break. Yep. You know, it just depends on the beers and the quality and this and stuff like that. But sometimes it doesn't even depend on that. It, uh, it kind of like it goes in like multiple different ways and this isn't something that's like unique to the industry in San Diego really it's also like unique um, I would say within the US for like craft brewing you know usually for breweries the make or break point is at like about three years Um, so and even sometimes it doesn't necessarily depend on the quality of the product that you're putting out It, it also depends on how you market it uh, your location you know your overhead costs you know, how much do yeah. you pay for your brew house? How much debt do you have? So there's all these, like, other factors that kind of go into, like, why breweries close. But certainly one of the, the big ones is um, definitely, like, quality. Because if people don't like to drink your beer, well, you're not going to be selling a lot of it. And, well, if you're not selling a lot of it, you're not making any sort of money. You're not making a profit. So what do you do at that point? You either get better or yeah. you fold. So... When you started making beers, were you were you a home brewer? I was, not so much anymore. <laughs> so so how, when when you started, like I was like, you know what, I'm gonna try something. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna be a home brewer. I want to see what what I can what I'm made of. Yeah, I mean, it definitely started started that way um, from getting into craft or craft beer just through drinking a lot of it uh, and being exposed to it, and then kind of going, oh, you can actually make this stuff whatever it is and Easy you know, kind of go from there but um you know I didn't do necessarily like a lot of home brewing I just kind of actually like uh, got into brewing and then went to England actually and studied England? beer England like England 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 like New England <laughs> yeah no I moved to England for about five months to go through a brewing program how was that like uh, it was different. It was interesting. Dark beers, huh? Yeah, so I definitely got exposed to uh, English ales. Uh, and actually, I went to school with the former head brewer of Yorkshire Square, Andy Black. He and I went to school together. <laughs> huh, okay. <laughs> Yorkshire Square, is that the one over here in Torrance? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I haven't been to that one yet. Yeah. He. They, is it good? It's it's really good. That's the um, English. That's the English one, huh? It is. Yeah. So, uh, and it, it it the name itself like ties back to Andy's love of English style ales, but also uh, the part of England that he loves the most, which is Northern England. You know, Yorkshire. That's Northern England. So it's a very very specific part. And actually, the name Yorkshire Square uh, is a uh, fermenting vessel. That is specific to the brewing style of Northern England. So, with England, they make ales, brown ales, and stouts. They make all their stuff. They or make IPAs pub. and stuff like that. I, wanna, I never had IPA from England. They're a little bit different. They're not what you would typically see because, you know, I think of like most Americans when they think of IPA, they think of West Coast IPA. Or now, if you're going to be specific, you know, North New England style IPAs, like the, the hazies and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's very, very specific. But the English, their IPA is a little bit different. So okay. it's not as hoppy. It's not as big because um, they've got like tax laws in England that kind of prevent them from, um, not necessarily prevent them, but, you know, kind of hinder them from going higher than a certain percentage gotcha so that's why a lot of english ales are a lot lower like three to five percent really? is because of taxes wow yeah so if you go higher than that you're taxed at a much higher rate and it kind of makes it uneconomical for a lot of breweries to actually produce that um the interesting thing is that if you go into scotland they don't have those rules because scotland is more or less and that's more up in uh, England, huh? It's kind of like a different state, but kind of like border. Yeah, yeah. Scotland, if, yeah, Scotland is definitely separate from England. What about Ireland? Have you been to Ireland? I have been to Ireland. I've Gar- been to Dublin. Guinness? Yes, I've been to Dublin. They have a purple beer. That's okay. This be- <laughs> I tried that before one time. It's like, why are you drinking that purple one? That's a girly drink. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know Lots that. It was like good. It. Yeah. But it's like, but Guinness has some good. They say. The, the Guinness they make over there in Ireland is way different from America. It is. Uh, so they... Actually, Guinness just recently, within the past couple of years, like I think within the last two years, they reopened their uh, brewery that was in, based in Baltimore. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're calling it their Open Gate Brewery. I don't think that they're actually able to produce Guinness uh, at that facility because it can only pr- be produced in Ireland because Guinness is still um, malt are malting and roasting their own malt specifically for Guinness. So no one really knows like how they roast their their malt for that beer. Because their beer is good. It's, it's way different. I had it before. I was like, whoa. Yeah. And it's very, like, Guinness is very, very specific. And if you go to Ireland, it is definitely going to taste a little bit different. The um, percentage is a little high. Uh, a little bit, isn't it? No. It's actually really low. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's like, I think at like 3.5%, not higher than 4. I thought it was 6. No. I got, I got to do my homework on that. I, I yeah. Like, like, 3 to, wow. Yeah. It was not like... I don't know. It's just I thought it was six. It's, it, t- it tastes like a six. Yeah. No, and it's actually kind of interesting because uh, the Guinness Brewery that's in Dublin, they've also kind of opened up. Um, they also call it an open gate brewery, kind of going off of like St. James's Gate, gotcha. uh, which is that famous gate, you know, for the Guinness factory that everyone takes pictures in front of and all that other stuff. Gotcha. Um, but they actually have this sort of... Uh, open gate brewery at this site that is uh, kind of what you would consider kind of a micro brewery for 
for Guinness. Uh -huh. So they actually do a lot of small batch brewing within that site, a lot of testing and things like that. Uh, and actually the, the schedule that they've got to create these new beers is pretty intense. You know, you have to come up with, I think for, for one person, they've got a team of brewers or something like that, but you have to come up with two new recipes a month. Uh, which isn't necessarily like the biggest thing it's not like the hardest thing but you also have to produce something that is like a quality product you know you don't necessarily want it to flop because you know it's going to be actually poured in this tap room that they've got that's so next a, door to guinness so it's a make or break in some ways yeah but there's also the added bonus of if you produce a beer for for them that beer could also potentially be picked up by the larger production facility that is literally right next door and produced on a massive scale. So you're also trying to create beers that are not necessarily something that is interesting for you as a brewer, which is really important, but you're also trying to produce something that um, is going to be you know, sold to the public potentially in the thousands and thousands of barrels. Isn't that a little bit more pressure for a person to do that because the world is dependent on you to make a, that that beer? In some ways, very much so. Fuck, that, yeah. I wouldn't, I don't know. Uh, do you feel like that when you're now your head brewer? Do you feel pressure? Uh, it's a different type of pressure, but do, but you come up with the ingredient. You come up with the beers, like the taste. Uh, not not all of them. Like I, we have kind of more of a collaborative effort here, working with Brian Mercer, who's the owner and, mm -hmm. and original, you know, brewer of of this facility. So yeah, yeah. Um, and then definitely when we do collaborations with other breweries, it's more of a collaborative effort most of the time. Um, of, okay, what do you guys want to brew? What do we want to brew? What sort of weird, sort of crazy stuff are we interested in using? Whether it's malts, you know, or just grains in general, hops, adjuncts, random ingredients, fruits, all that sort of stuff. I like to go one day, 6 o'clock in the morning with you guys and see how you guys do the brew and everything. Because one time I came and the smell was like, the smell of hops, like, whoa, that's strong. Yeah. I yeah. Like smell. I wish they could make a bottle of cologne on that shit. Badass. <laughs> but right now, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to uh, refill some beers right now, and we'll be right back. What's up, everyone? Mega Man here. Before we get back to the episode, I want to do a couple shout-outs and talk for just for a little bit. I want to give a huge huge motherfucking shout out to my boy beer thug life man uh he had a birthday on uh on friday at uh beer bellies in long beach first time ever Megan man uh went over there uh awesome uh food was good i mean i had a buffalo uh blue cheese chicken sandwich with french fries it was the best uh had a good time and everything and uh I, yeah, I, I really had a good time. So shout outs to uh, to everyone that went to Beard Thug Life. I saw the Hood Footy, Sour Cream B, Two Sons Brewery, uh, Lori and her husband, Candace and her husband. Um, just a whole bunch of cool people. And uh, yeah, Niners was there. Bringing out the Bourbon County, like some he made, he had like a like a chocolate style beer. It was fucking bomb, dude. Yeah, so shouts to Beard Thug Life. But the party 
<laughs> wasn't over. Uh, I had to go to work and oh my God, it was crazy. That's another, that's another story. But the next day, <clears throat> cause people were telling me what the fuck happened to your leg? Well, me and my girl were uh, going to taste a brew um, in Long Beach. So we took a Uber and we uh, got off at the Pike and we're walking over there. And one thing about uh, you should know, I have uh, three screws on my ankle and um, <clears throat> we we're walking and there's one thing I hate. I hate extra steps and I hate curves or anything. So where we, me and my girl were walking over there to the pike and I stepped on a curve that was unbalanced, messed my ankle up bad. And I had to sit down for about, I say about 15 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes the most. And my girl knew like your ankle didn't doesn't look right. And I just, you know, played it off, whatever, let's fucking do it. When we started walking to taste the brew, my ankle tightened. And so I already knew it was a high sprain. So just by looking at it right now, um, it's like, it's really like purple. So, um, I really messed it up really bad. So the whole time <clears throat> me and my girl were at Taste of Brew, I had a super high ankle sprain and I can barely fucking walk. There was, there was sometimes that when I was walking, I was biting my tongue. That's how much pain it was. But you know what? It didn't matter to me because, um, you know, like I just wanted to show my support uh, for the, all the people who, who are from the SoCal Service Settles. They, were, they killed it. I went over there. They fucking killed it. <clears throat> Rose Skulls. Big Boys Brewery. My beer Thug Life Hood Soldier uh, Wasted Brewery was there. Um, who else? Who else? Bipolar. You know, you had Inquisitors. Um, I mean, uh, West 77 was there. I mean, long lines up the ass. Long, long lines. If I forgot anyone, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just right now, my I'm still trying to uh, trying to fix my leg while I'm still doing. Uh, talking to you guys right now but yeah like a lot it was it was packed it was really really packed um i try to stay away from all the the beers i try like guinness mike's hard lemonade like like all that stuff um there was a lot of new uh breweries that were there but i think next time <clears throat> i couldn't really and i was trying to enjoy myself me and my girl but at the same time my my ankle was just fucked up and when the event was over that's when my ankle got fucking worse. It, it just tightened up. And that's where I knew it's like, you know what? I can't work like this because I was going to go to work that night. I had to call out and it was really, really bad. But luckily, um, I had to call out and my girl, shout out to my girl, Cynthia, took care of me, man. It was, man, <laughs> I, Mega Man was not having a good day <laughs> that, that day from work 
for my ankle. I couldn't do anything. But uh, my girl, she made it work. She put some uh, some uh, ointment, some CBD oil ointment for my ankle. Um, you know, put ice on it and everything. The swelling went down a little bit, but I can walk a little bit, but not not like how I want to walk. But it's better than it's better than nothing. But uh, so yeah. But at least, <clears throat> no matter what, the show must go on, guys. No matter what, if I'm injured bad, I'm still gonna fucking go to show my support. But yeah, uh, Taste of Brew is awesome. Um, me and my girl, we will be ready next year for Taste of Brew. It was um, it was a lot, a lot of people. Um, one thing is, they need to have more food trucks and more bathrooms. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was pretty, it was it was awkward, but um, a little weird because you know people were fighting over bathroom stalls. <laughs> Even saw a girl fight too, but I don't know. I think everyone has to go to the bathroom that bad. But um, yeah, but everything else, uh, Taste of Brew was um, done. Um, I got invited to Borders X, but I couldn't. My my ankle was too messed up. But next time. Uh, but other than that, guys. Um, Subscribe to the Mega Man's podcast. Uh, please uh, rate and review on um, Apple iTunes podcast and any other podcast. They have a rate and review. <clears throat> Let me give a shout out to uh, No Father No Problem, Dudes from LA podcast. Let me know, Pod Angel. What am I going to get on your podcast? Let me know. Uh, Chris G uh, from Small Town Cali podcast. Um, Sarai Paterosa's podcast. Um, yeah. Other than that, guys, uh, and be on the lookout. I'm going to do a podcast, um, down the road with, uh, Rogers, uh, Roger Lopez. He has, uh, he's a comedian. He has his own podcast called Roger That. It's, it's on Anchor. So I'll be on the lookout for that episode. I will put, put it up. But other than that, guys, have an enjoyable uh, day and more episodes to come. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right, we're back on and uh, we took a little beer break. So what did you get me? So I handed you Skeleton Birdman, which is one of our our. Our American adjunct logger. Uh-huh. Um, so it's one of a couple of loggers that we've done for the summer. So we have Pot Fuji, which is our can condition pilsner, which we um, make year-round. So it's available all the yeah. time. Um, but then we've also got Jaws, which is our rice logger, which is really, really good. And then we've also got Skeleton Birdman, which is an American adjunct logger. That's lager. good. Yeah. That's something where I like to drink and have like a weekend off. No baby mama, you know, no kids, just chilling, watching uh, Django, whatever yeah. kind of movie. Uh, that's a very sweet beer for like a. Is that like a year-round beer? No, it might turn into that at some point, but for right now, it's just a seasonal beer, and it's definitely not one that we package just yet. So gotcha. Jaws is actually one that we package and we send out for distribution. Mm. Um, but Skeleton Birdman is one that we have in-house, so you have to actually come down to the brewery. Uh, down to the site and actually do growlers and stuff like that. Uh, we do. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna tell you this. I, this dawned on me. Do you guys make uh, holiday beers? We have seasonal releases, 
I can't necessarily say what sort of like holiday themed beer. If you're talking about like pumpkin beers, gingerbread beer, do not do that. Fuck. Um, yeah, I would say that we probably don't do like any sort of like gingerbread beer, but we do have seasonal beers that come out during like the um, later um, fall months, like more and more, which is our Belgian, uh, one of our Belgian beers. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one is actually going to come out later on. I, I, I love fall beers. You know, when the when the weather gets cold and everyone comes inside, the the beers are so fucking good and everything. And I always like, I'm, it just depends on the weather. If it's hot, I want something more light, like a Pilsner, like your Pop Fuji's. Because you have the Pop Fuji's, they come in two, two different, two, two, uh, one filtered or unfiltered? No, they're all, they're all. It's it's unfiltered. Gotcha. Um, but the cans themselves are actually like can conditioned. Uh-huh. So we do kind of like a secondary refermentation to develop the um, CO two character, or the basically the carbonation of it in mm-hmm. can. So it's got a different sort of mouth feel from um, a lot of these other like forced carbonated beers that you'll have that are you know just basically like typical. They're standard for the industry but uh i would say that our can conditioned beers are definitely not standard because they take a little bit longer i was gonna say um how long when you buy a a craft beer can uh, there's always gonna be a date how long are your beers good for so it all kind of depends um it depends on like what the beer actually is when it was packaged how it was packaged um you know uh, on the brewery themselves you know yeah a lot of times they will, the brewery will assign uh, a date to that beer that is good up until this point. Uh, you know, your hoppier beers, because like that hop character is so delicate sometimes, it's gonna last uh, not as long as something like a Belgian quad would, where you can sit on it for years and, you know, drink it like three years from now and it is still probably gonna taste somewhat the same. Gotcha, gotcha. So. No, that's not, that's just something where I, I, I have a little inventory. And when I go to different breweries and I buy cans, I was like, how long is your beer good for, for this, whatever. So I would mark it down. So I would know when, when is it going to, like, it's going, going to expire. Yeah. Because, you know, that's why cans are good to drink whatever or to try it on taps. I'm late. I'm trying to buy a lot of, you have, you guys have bottles too? No, not, not often. So uh-huh. the only bottles that we do have are some of our mixed fermentation sour cultures, which we oh. are pretty limited on right now. So... Um, we can most of our stuff and we package uh, our beers into draft to send out to bars. And, and you guys like buy, that. you guys see, like, people can buy cakes too, huh? I don't actually know if they can buy kegs. I don't think that the general public can actually come in and buy a keg for, like, a party or something like that. That's what I'm looking for for next week. Yeah, I think. <laughs> for I, a baby shower. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's mostly, uh, like, cans and cases and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's something. Um, I want to talk about an interesting topic we were talking on a break. Um, with people who want to get into the crap, who want to be a brewer and the crapper scene, well, how do you how do you start it? You know, do, I mean, I know you have to go to school and everything, but do you have to go to school outside the country? No, so not necessarily. Uh, so, so for my own situation, it was kind of kind of unique yeah in a lot of ways um i 
wasn't necessarily told that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but I've always been kind of like a world traveler, and I've always wanted to live outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was kind of like an awesome opportunity for me to actually go ahead and do that for a couple of months. Uh-huh. Um, but that's not really like necessary or required to get into the brewing industry. In fact, I think a lot of people do the exact opposite. You know, they'll kind of get into the industry because um, they like craft beer or you know they'll get a job at a brewery you know in the tap room or like helping to package like on the keg line or something like that and they'll just sort of like slowly work their way up through um through the company through Mm -hmm. production to get to being a brewer or a head brewer or something like that yeah um so you know both routes are valid in their own sense because you're kind of essentially doing um, similar things, you know, for me going to school in England, uh, I can't necessarily say that, you know, being a head brewer for American Craft Brewery, you know, knowing how to brew English um, English ales uh, actually kind of like helped me at all. Like, it really, it really didn't, you know, the more, the most learning that I did was on the production floor uh, working at Stone Brewing in Escondido. You know, that's where I really learned like all of the things that you need to know of working kind of like in the industry um you know for for europe because they're so old and they've been you know a part of like the the brewing community for so long yeah they've got their own traditions especially when you talk about uh, belgium and germany and england and ireland and scotland and all of these other places even going so far back as going into like denmark and things like that Uh, of course they're going to kind of look for that more technical side of stuff and look for degrees Um, and that's where where you'll actually find a lot more of your degree programs for brewing like brewing specifically um, is going to be in Europe you know and there's like several different schools and universities Mm -hmm. although they aren't aren't very numerous there's, there's still quite a few so like the University of Copenhagen is one Harriet Watt uh, in Scotland, and then you've also got the Technical University of Munich. Yeah. You know, the other reason why they're looking for those, like, technical degrees is that they're um, kind of going into more of, you know, management-type, like, type of um, breweries, or, you know, they've got a lot more companies that are technical-based, and so you'll see a lot of people getting those degrees, but, you know, Germany specifically, they've got an apprentice program for all of their brewing, and that is more or less like the equivalent um, in a lot of ways, so it really depends on, like, what you want to do within the craft brewing industry, um, because it's still very much... um, apprentice style learning based you know you don't need a degree to go into this uh, unless you kind of want to go into the more management side of things or you want to work for one of the macro breweries gotcha that's a something no that's it's 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 good to like to learn new things outside the country and and just and see what you what you want and everything and that's something where it, it needs to be told yeah you know, and I and I like it. It's something. Um, how um, how did you get? How did you how did you, you get into the big boys, Stonesbury? Uh, so that was kind of a, a, a unique encounter, actually. Uh-huh. Um, so before I decided to go to school, 
uh, or actually like after I decided to go to school in England, I had already put my like deposit down and I was going to this school. Um, I went to uh, an event, like a beer event yeah. at Stone. Yeah. And it was a beer pairing dinner uh, joint between uh, Ballast Point, actually, before they got bought by Constellation. Sell out. <laughs> yeah, before they got bought by Constellation. Uh, between Ballast Point and Stone. Uh, and so, you know, uh, Stone's head chef would, cre- like, created, it like, five courses, like, each of these dishes. Oh, they have food over there? Yeah. No. Yeah. I have to go now. Yeah. And so, like, the chef created these dishes, they had this whole menu, and then Stone and Ballast Point would pair one of their beers specifically with um, this dish. Uh-huh. And that's how it would work. Uh, and the, the person that I was dating at the time... Uh, he worked for Ballast Point. Uh-huh. Uh, he was actually one of their production managers, and so we were able to get tickets to this event for free. And we kind of thought that we would get stuck in the back, that you know we wouldn't be anyone important, that they would just give us the cheap seats, that we were lucky enough to get food and maybe a beer to go with it. Yeah. Um, but actually, we got seats where we got to sit at the head table. Uh, which was in front of the entire crowd, and I got sat next to Mitch Steele, and on the other side of me was Colby Chandler, who at the time was the head brewer for Ballast Point. Um, So Mitch Steele being like the granddaddy, the head brewer, brewmaster of Stone for a number of years. Is that the founder? No, no. He's not, he wasn't the founder. There was a story uh, I heard about this, the, the founder sold his house and how he started everything and oh, yeah. when he had one truck it was a very touching story I was like wow yeah um, but yeah so I got sat next to Mitch Steele who is now he own, he left Stone to go create his own brewery in uh, Atlanta actually uh, called New Realm and he has been doing a really awesome job New so Realm. he is also Mitch Steele if, if people don't know who he is he is kind of the most popular dude when it comes to IPAs. Like, if you want to create an IPA, you read the book that he wrote on IPAs. He is that dude. Um, So it was kind of one of those moments, like, for me, as being, like, a very new person to this industry, just sort of getting introduced of having an oh shit moment of who I was actually sitting next to. Uh, So it took me, I think, maybe three or four courses to actually be able to work up the nerve to (laughs) ask him a question. I mean, how many beers? A lot. Uh, I think by that time, if it was three or four courses, we went through six beers at that point. How many IPAs? Uh, (laughs) A lot. So I actually, like, asked him if going to school in England uh, would warrant me a potential job not just like at stone but i kind of like asked him if it would get me a job at stone yeah um he was just like sure sure whatever yes that will just contact me after we're all after you come back and whatever so um Damn. yeah so i contacted after i got him like after i got back from england and a couple weeks later i think three weeks later i was at my first job at Stone Brewing, so... The big boys. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, it's kind of um, how persistent you are and how... Um, and being also, like, kind of in the right place at the right time. That Yeah, that's so, true, yeah. Because I can't necessarily say that if I hadn't met him, uh, that I would necessarily be where I'm at today. 
Yeah. You know, I might not be, you know, here but, very west. But. but working at Stone, that's one of the big boys, like, of the whole United, the West Coast and the whole United States, where yeah. all eyes are on Stones. Yeah. So, this is the next topic I want to talk about. Now that Ballast Point got bought out, now, with a lot of the recognition of what's going on with Ballast Point because of what's going on with the, the boycott with Mexicali and all that, yeah. now a lot of the the hardcore beer snobs and a lot of people they don't want they don't want to have the the, the balance points no more or anything affiliated with coronas and all that stuff so now stones is is the big boys of the of the san, san diego area yeah yeah you guys okay <laughs> <laughs> you want my glasses here kind of. <laughs> take take my glasses they're not prescripted that's good Okay, good. Is that good? Perfect? Yeah. Okay, good. No, like, that's how it is. I know. I know. Just, but uh, is that something where, because now that Ballast Point got sold out and stuff, they, they now Stones is now took over San Diego? So, I think it's always been kind of like a battle uh, between Ballast Point and Stone. They were yes. kind of founded around a similar time. I think Stone is actually, like, a little bit older than Ballast Point by, like, a year or so or something like that. Yeah. Um, something sort of just menial whatever uh-huh. uh, but it's it's always been a battle it's always been like a battle between like those two breweries and I think the fact that Ballast Point sold to Constellation doesn't necessarily help it as far as it's craft beer does it make it worse uh, you know I think it basically in a lot of ways like the minute they sold to Constellation that took them out of the craft beer scene like <sighs> And that was basically it. Like, that battle was ended. It was done. The Ballast Point no longer became relevant in the craft beer industry because they they sold to such a huge conglomerate. You mean, quote, hashtag, they sold their, soul, they sold their life to the devil. They, yeah, they did. But sold you know what? Life. You got to think about it like this. Like, I don't fault them for at all. For a billion all. dollars. Yeah, see, that's the thing. It's like, I don't fault them at all for... Um, you know, creating this successful business because really what's, what sort of marker are you going for as a business owner if not to potentially um, gain such a large amount of success that someone is willing to pay you a significant amount of money for it. So a lot of these breweries that have sold already, you know, you're talking about like, you know, what's that one 10 barrel you know that just recently opened up you know in san diego as well and they sold you know all of these other places um it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like uh, you know a lot of people in the industry will get like pissed they'll get like irritated you know why have you left like why have you left this like small sort of community but at the same time it's just like you know what it's it's kind of tiresome sometimes to keep going through the day-to-day of brewing and keeping these this brewery afloat and maybe not necessarily keeping it afloat in some of these people's cases but yeah. you know keeping that same degree of success where you can more or less kind of retire so yeah. in a lot of ways like you got to think about it as it's it's a business and yeah. you know of course they're going to lose a lot of customers they're going to lose a lot of their fan base because you know it's kind of based off of this like craft centric you know market but at the same time, you know, can you really get angry or irritated at all of these these breweries that sold like sell? Now you can get pissed at all of these like macro breweries that are doing all of these 
really sort of like shady practices, you know, especially with like constellation and taking over, you know, the water source of Oh, Mexicali. Yeah, like a certain region, and it's just like, okay, that you can get pissed about. Yeah. But you shouldn't necessarily get pissed at all of these, like, smaller craft breweries, because they hit it big. Congrats to them, you know? Good yeah. job. Good job. It's just, so. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I always wonder if one day, if, like, will Stones ever come to that route where Budweiser or someone big will be knocking at Stones' doors, like, hey, we have a suitcase of a billion dollars. You want to take it? We'll buy your shit. You know, it's Ooh. it's kind of always been the, the thought process, and I'm, I can't necessarily say for sure because I'm not with the company anymore, but yeah. I know that for the entire time that I was there, that the, you know, what they were basically saying is that we would never sell, we would never sell, we would never sell. Yes. Um, and so I, I kind of, like, hold them to that, you know, um, to their word in a lot of ways that they would never sell. I feel like if breweries who had that kind of money... They would sell, and all of a sudden, your reputation is down the drain because now that they took control of your beers, they can make the beers cheap with corn and rice and make it more like, I want to save a penny or a buck or two, and the beers are not the the same like they used to try them back in the day. Yeah, you know, and that's something that they they can do. The other thing that you can think about is that, you know, a lot of these macro breweries, they have... A lot more resources they've got access to a lot more things and one of those things is definitely um, their buying power so you know even though you know they you know might buy the same ingredients they're naturally probably gonna get them for cheaper anyway so in that sense it's like they might not necessarily change something you know it's it's kind of one of those uh, working theories of mine and something that I would really actually sort of like like to look into especially uh-huh. is like how these macro breweries decide which breweries they're going to buy and really what is the the reason behind it because they're isn't necessarily sort of like a rhyme or reason um of course they're going to go for the more popular ones because you know they make more money but really like what is like the purpose of buying up all of these like smaller breweries is it to sort of like shrink the market a little bit is it trying to get these um you know these craft beer fans alienated from these brands and so that they naturally go on to something else or they go on to oh i don't know maybe onto a macro brew yeah. You know, it's like there's so many different things that like are involved in all of these, um, you know, these buyouts that yeah. it's, it's like, kind of like weird. Like what's been going on when they got bought out by Ballast Point and they bought out St. Archer's mm-hmm. and I was like, what the fuck? Dude? Yeah. I was like, no, I don't want that no more because, you know, like you could take it's not it's not the same. I don't want that. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, people did that, but um, it's. Uh, you know, it's just kind of, it's also one of those things where it's like, you know, those breweries still also employ the same people, or yeah. sometimes the same people. I can't necessarily say that for, for certain because sometimes they do have, like, yeah. cutbacks and things like that, but, you know, they, the breweries themselves, they do employ, like, they employ brewers, they employ production staff, and so, you know, it kind of, like, it hurts you know, not just, like, the brand, but it actually hurts the people that work there, too. I did not know. I have a friend, Crapper Trail, we talked about earlier. He lives in San Diego. He was, had a friend who goes to a lot of breweries. It has a jacket. has patches of all the breweries that we go to. He went to Ballast Point and said, hey, you have all the batches. How come you don't have a batch? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to wear a batch for sellouts. Yeah, see, you see, know. See, that's this. 
And that's just like one of those things. Like my mentality when it comes to drinking is that if you like it, drink it. Who really yeah. gives a shit what you actually drink? If you like Heineken, if you like Miller High Life, then you know what? By all means, go ahead and drink it. Like I, I really don't care. I, um, I feel like those beers are like kindergarten drinks to me. Yeah, those are preschoolers. Now we're the masters. Yeah, I mean, I, it's but you got to think like the the thing about macro breweries is that they are it's incredible the consistency in the product that they they make. Yeah, it might not be like of the quality that you want to drink. It might not taste what like what you want to drink. Mm-hmm. But in order to achieve that same beverage across multiple sites and across the entire U.S. in some cases and across the world is an incredible feat you know you're talking about and this kind of comes a little bit from like personal experience because working in both Escondido and then moving across the country in Richmond flavor matching is a very important part because you want someone that is in you know on the west coast to drink say a stone IPA and then someone on the east coast to drink a stone IPA and you want them to have the same experience you want them to have the same feeling you want the same flavors to happen on both sides of the country Mm. so the fact that these macro breweries can actually produce these you know these beers at multiple sites you know we're talking like like lots of different sites like across the u.s and it is the same thing like you can't tell the difference between a beer you know brewed in southern california versus the one at a plant in wisconsin or wherever the hell it is yeah you know it's so in that sense and of course they're doing a lot of like blending they're using a lot of adjuncts they're doing all of these certain things but you got to remember that like these are thousands and thousands of barrels of beer that are being produced and it's it's actually a really interesting feat that they're able to i know at this point a lot of people will probably think like oh she loves like (laughs) macro brews but at the same time it's really important to kind of remember these these sort of like interesting points that it's just like it's, it's a mixture it's a mixture of everything you want to try east coast west coast you just want to see what's good and what's not yeah that's, that's how i see it but no no it's good you know you, you're working over there on the east coast you go to england you go to the west coast you have your diverse of how you want your your beer your beers to be yeah and now that you're working in uh brie west how's that like now uh, it's a little bit different. <laughs> different? Uh, yeah, so this is a, a much smaller brewery. Mm-hmm. So with Stone, we're producing over 100,000 barrels. But this brewery is well known. Yes. Top yeah. five for me. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, it is one of the up-and-coming breweries for the L.A. craft beer scene. I, I mean, love it. LA, the L.A. scene in general is kind of, um, it's picking up momentum. Uh, it's been kind of around and it's always been kind of like in the shadow of San Diego a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's it's coming into its own. And I can definitely say that like the breweries within L.A. are definitely like quality breweries. You know, you might not necessarily like the beer that these breweries are producing, but a lot of the times they'll be of a, a really good quality. Um, and so you can't really fault them for that. Just because you don't like it, you can't say that that beer is shit. There's so many good breweries out in, and I feel like with Long Beach, I heard they're going to open another five to ten more breweries like in ten years. Probably. There's like so much heavy hitters from home brewers who are killing it in the SoCal Cerveceros, you know, and everything. And I feel like, man, this is going to be like the mecca of like L.A., Long Beach. Because I feel like right now they're getting ready for the Olympics. 
Yeah. Coming around, they're gonna give you like, man, look at all these breweries in East LA, Harbor, you got over here, you got Long Beach, you got the inner city of LA, you got everything. It's like, it's like to the point, I feel like a lot of people, some of the times they want to venture out to the Inland Empire, mm-hmm. but they don't want to make that drive. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so they want, I want to stay, I want to stay more close, you know, and uh, I always want to support local breweries and stuff. That's always been my thing, yeah. no matter what. And all the breweries I've been to, I support Long Beach all, you know, all the way. From time to time, I ain't going to lie. I'll come here from time to time, you know. And But a lot of the beers, you guys have it on cans. You know, if I go to liquor stores or whatever, you know, Brewery West, Brewery West, I get a four-pack, whatever. I have reasonable prices. Yeah. You know, the Dog Ate My Homework, that's one of my best. I love Dog. The, the Double IPAs, the Pop Fujis. When you do collabs with Indy, you know, or... Or uh, great notions. I'm always gonna be there. Yeah. I just love what you guys are doing, and uh, I don't know. I just feel like <coughs> it's family friendly over here. It is. <coughs> there are multiple people that I've like talked to who have told me that like one of the reasons why they come here is so that they can let their kids like run around in a in a safe environment. Oh, and yeah. I've basically like seen packs of children riding around the brewery like at the outdoor space um on scooters on bikes just running around in general so it's actually like a really kind of like interesting inter- interesting place for people to come you know I, I love it that's one of the perfect spots and if i have ever had time me and my girl likes to go ne- next door because she likes arts and crafts mm-hmm. and i love it it's, it's it's perfect this is a perfect location yeah and san pedro and it brings so much revenue um San Pedro will be like, oh, we think of San Pedro, we think of our brewery West. It's a good, it's a good brewery, and that's one of the things. And um, I, I love, I love that what Brewery West is doing. Yeah. You know, they're just kind of isolated. I mean, a lot of the beer snobs say like, oh, they should be, they need to be close by. My honest opinion, I think you guys are in the best fit because you're kind of, you know, excluded from all the breweries because you know, you know, and everything. So it makes a journey for a lot of people from the outside from. From Long Beach to the East LA to a lot of people come over here, and when you guys have events like indie bands or whatever you guys have, I mean, good fucking beers. Yeah, I, I fucking love it, and it's beautiful because I always wish one day, like me and my girl get married, we want to get married here because the lights it looks all romantic and stuff. Like yeah. it's something where like they have that, then they have this. It's just Bray West is like I want to have my wedding, like my not no live my wedding reception here. Yeah. I and we it. do we have like a lot of events here and no a lot way. of weddings yeah actually <laughs> so we're also like an event space like not just with our own events with uh um music and things like that but we also um in some ways like rent out the space too so people yeah. have gotten married here they've had like receptions here they've done all sorts of stuff here mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean being in San Pedro, a lot of, like, the biggest complaint that I have from people is definitely, like, oh, you're so far away, like, I can't okay. get there, but it's, like, at the same time, you want to look at them and say, but we're a good brewery, and you go to all these other good breweries, you know, you should want to, like, go outside and find the things that are good. If you like us, then come visit, like. They, um, a lot of people don't know this, but I have a good memory. 
they film a lot of movies with uh, Fast and the Furious here. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you take this street right here, there used to be like on the side, there's like a little hill with little stairs. That's where they film it with the cars were racing. Yep. I remember all that stuff. And they film a lot of stuff at the docks, like Gone in 60 Seconds and yep. everything. So San Pedro is well known. Yeah, it's it's kind of an incredible because there have been multiple occasions where I've like driven into work and they use like the, the parking lot across from the marina uh -huh. as kind of like a staging area. And you just like have all of these trailers and everything just sort of like. You want to know who's out. there? Yeah. And, like I always kind of like look. Who's your, so, favorite, oh, who's your, who's your favorite actor? I don't know. I don't have a favorite actor. What's your favorite movie? <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have one of those Woo! either. Yeah. You watch Netflix? Yeah. When you have time or Hulu, whatever. So. Yeah, but I hardly yeah. ever have any time. So. You watch Viceland with uh, all the beards. Uh, the, the, I think there's a lady who goes travels around with different, goes to like different yeah, breweries. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, I haven't seen it in a while though. I know it's when you're talking about. I, I think so. that's like the the owner of Golden Road. We won't talk about that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot I'm of pretty things. pretty sure the host is We won't talk. Um, we're almost done with this uh, episode. Um, uh, Brie West, so what, what's your top three favorite beers here for people to come? For, for me, if I were to say, I would definitely say that people have to try Pop Fuji. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, have to try Pop Fuji. You have to try Doggy May Homework. Oh, yes. Um, and then the other one that I would probably say is um, like one of our hazy IPAs. Mm -hmm. um, Picnic is definitely one of our staples. So that's one, like one of our, um, I would say, like core brands for Brewery West. Yes. Um, and we'll always have that on. Um, Dig My Earth is our double IPA. I love that one. Yeah. That's fucking good. So um, any one of those are See, a good choice. A lot of people when they when they when they consider like hazies, like is it supposed to be like a little like a little dark orange juice drink or it has to be clear? What it just depends with the hazies, the whole thing. So if you go look at the style guidelines for yeah. hazy IPAs and uh, things like that, the the guidelines that they give you are so vague that it encompasses like a wide spectrum oh of God. anything and I mean that's kind of one of the things is of um, these beer style guidelines and sometimes like that is what they are because that segment of beer is just so diverse uh -huh. um, especially with like New England style IPAs hazy IPAs being such a new addition to the craft beer scene it's really hard for them to kind of like pinpoint what exactly is the style supposed to be. You know, if you kind of like counter that with like a West Coast IPA, everyone knows what a West Coast IPA oh, is yeah. supposed to be. It's supposed to be clear, it's supposed to be bitter, and yeah, like, drink it, you know. Nice. So, you beer know, is beer. Yeah, so you know what it's supposed to be. But with like these hazy IPAs, like people are still trying to figure out like what it's supposed to be and for a lot of different like for a lot of breweries it can mean wildly different things you know it could be the like opaque weirdness of just looking like a milkshake or Slushy. it could be yeah or it could be this like you know sort of clear like you can kind of see the vague impression of your fingers on the other side of yeah. the glass or you know just something entirely different my honest opinion at uh trying the hazies these milkshakes these slush like all these two i'm just gonna stick with west coast ipas you can't go wrong yeah. that's it that's, i mean that's the only thing hazies is cool and everything 
But from time to time, you have it every day, it gets kind of played out. So I'd rather stick with uh, West Coast IPAs. Yeah. That's a safe bet. Yeah, I would probably go for like the Pilsners yeah. and Lagers and things like that, but yeah. that's also just me. My top five breweries is Brewery West, uh, Liberation, uh, 10 Miles, Sandbox, and um, Highland Park Brewery. Those are my top five breweries I like going to. And uh, you guys have some good stuff. Yeah. And that's it's just it's right it's right across the Green Bridge, the Green Monster, but just good stuff, you know whatever I can and it's some good stuff and I, and I love it. Um, uh, two questions. Lastly, uh, what's the future for Brewery West now? Is it good? Good? It's gonna be? It's, I know it's going up. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like a a harder question to answer because I don't necessarily think that anybody really knows like what's going to happen in the future and I know that sounds like super vague but at the same time like Brewery West you know we are working really really hard and you know we are you know in some ways like expanding and things like that we are growing as a company so we are going to be around for quite some time at least as as far as I know right now Um, so you know as far as like looking forward to things from Brewery West you know we're doing lots and lots of collabs with different breweries so yeah um, we just recently did one with pizza port uh bressy ranch yes and that one's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks so you know that one's going to be a double west coast ipa so it's going to be a huge departure from some of the things that are usually it's like i want to faint right now (laughs) i want to i love double ipas yeah i i just i love them it's just oh i can't wait I just, I would be there. I cannot wait to get, and this is going to be a can release and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So this one's going to be a really awesome uh, can label as well. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Uh, It's going to be a really awesome release. So people should definitely look for that. Um, Definitely look for the the future collabs that we do um, with all these really awesome breweries. Fuck yeah, that's what's up. Last question. I mean... For all my rugby people who from South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, England, when they hear this episode, I want them to know, like, hey, what, uh, they want to know what you're all about. Like, what, 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 what can they know about you? Like, what can uh, they know, like, uh, you know, like, what you're all about? Hey, that's like a... That's a hard question. <laughs> um, I guess for me, it's... I don't know. How do you boil yourself down into mm-hmm. like a small segment? But um, I guess that you could say that I am a elite rugby-playing head brewer. Oh, hell yeah. Who <laughs> lives you up. in San Pedro slash Long Beach. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... Uh, that's basically, I guess, like... I would describe myself as that, an elite athlete, mm-hmm. but also someone who makes beer for a living, which is kind of weird. <laughs> and uh, lastly, guys want to know, are you single or are you taking? <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I didn't say that. This is them. Single. Single? Okay. Yeah. Single. So you better have your A game up with rugby. And she's not, she'll tackle you on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, like, my time is, like, devoted to, like, to rugby, so. Yeah, so you got to make it work, guys. You got to do it like, you, you have to love craft beer, rugby, and you and you have to be full-time. You got to focus on her. That's it. 
Um, anything else, like any shout outs you want to do before we end it? Uh, I mean, I'd like to thank Sour Queen Bee for actually like hooking us up Mama. and um, providing this I opportunity. I like this episode. I like this episode. Yeah. It's very chill, you know, and everything. It's like sometimes in a way I get nervous like meeting up, but like I don't want to bother you, but it came early. It's like, okay, you're doing it. You're like, I'm on my last cast. Like, you do what you got to do, girl. Yeah. Yeah. I would like really like to, to thank her um, and Hops Galore. Like, she is oh. doing awesome, awesome things for not just like the, the craft beer industry, but for, for women in general. And the same thing with like Sour Candy. Are you going to, is Brewery West going to be at Taste of Bruce? Maybe. I'll be over there. Maybe. I'll, uh, yeah, please, please, <laughs> uh, I, I think so. Uh, yeah. So being in production, I don't necessarily get out to a lot of events and things yeah. like that. But, um, yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of events coming up in September. Uh, Crafters of Long Beach. Yeah. You know, and it picks me as out, you know, Dennis and stuff. I'm going to try to get him on my podcast. But uh, Taste of Brews, you know, and everything. And I, that's where all these big boys, home brewers, and also was mixed up with a lot of the breweries and stuff. You know, I want to see what's what's the next, what what they got going on, what kind of beers they got. Yeah. But other than that, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm not even done. I'm gonna get another beer after before I leave. Yeah. I uh, mean, you, you should do that. Hell yeah. <laughs> other than that, uh, where can they follow you at? Uh, well, I mean, I only have my personal account. I don't have one that's devoted to anything else. Are you more pri- public or more private? It's set to public. But I definitely don't like post a lot of things where my face is shown. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, it's mostly like artsy yeah. photos of nature and things around the brewery. I noticed that you like nature a lot, huh? You go hiking a lot? No, but I definitely should. No, it's just that I don't necessarily like selfies. I think they're kind of weird. It's kind of like a little weird. Like, come on, it's so like, it's like, come on, selfie really? Like, you yeah. Know? So I mean, yeah, you'll get lots of pictures of either my dog, the brewery nature stuff or just interesting weird shit that I see. And rugby too. And you'll get rugby thrown in there. Well. Telling you, rugby, killing in rugby, man. So, but yeah, it's, it's shredded Wheaties. Shredded Wheaties? <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, because you like Wheaties cereals? No, it's because I needed a handle when I first started Instagram. Oh, I, I thought like shredded Wheaties. Shredded like, oh, she likes Wheaties, but <laughs> she, she wants to be in the Wheaties box for the rugby, okay. No, no, it was <laughs> just something as like weird as, I need a, I need a name and I can't think of anything. And, it's okay. Man, there's a box of cereal right there. Fucking killing it. <laughs> Other than that, guys, like I said, thank you for so much for coming on. Subscribe to the Mega Man's podcast. Please rate and review. Leave me those five stars. Uh, other than that, you can find me on Apple, Google, Anchor, Spotify, the whole nine yards. If you can't find my podcast, just DM me on my Instagram at the Mega Man's Podcast or my personal uh, Mega Man Six Nine Eight Zero. Other than that, Ryan, thank you for so much for going to be on the podcast, and uh, we are out because I want another fucking beer from Brewery West. Well, thank you very much. Hell yeah, we are out. Later, guys. <laughs>